Well, let's take our Bibles then this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And our text this morning will be two short verses, verses 13 and 14. But unlike the last passages, I think you're going to see immediately how we're going to get a full sermon out of this, these two verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning at verse 13. Listen to the word of God. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. There ends the reading of God's inerrant word this morning. Join with me in prayer as we, before we go through our text this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, again, we want to ask you to help us to understand your word. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We again pray that anything that would keep us and hinder us from hearing the word of God would be set aside, whether that's the worries of, of the weak, whether that's sin, I pray that you would help us to deal with that and you would grant us repentance so there would be nothing between us to prevent us to hear your word. And then again, I pray that you would give us the ability to repent, the ability to be obedient, the desire to follow after you, and to obey the things that your word commands us to do. And so this morning, I pray that we would again be those who would go out better equipped and more conform to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ because we have dwelt with our God and we have heard from him through his word this morning, I pray in your name, amen. Well, we've been traveling through the book of 1 Corinthians and as we come through chapter 16, Paul is really wrapping up the book. And he is wrapping up uh, the, the last things that he has to say to the Corinthians. Now we remember that the book of Corinthians has really been a book of corrections. If we were going to put a word on the book of Corinthians, you would, 1 Corinthians, you would say is a book of, cor of corrections. Paul has been dealing with various issues in the church, and so he has begun this book, and he started dealing with, their, with the lack of unity and the fighting over teachers and a misunderstanding of the power of the gospel and the misunderstanding of his teachers and his servants. He has dealt with the sin in the church where there's been immorality that even, we would say, is not even in the world, and they were tolerating. He's dealt with their issues, their questions, and he's dealt with problems with the Lord's Supper. He's, done, he's also done, dealt with their selfishness and their misunderstanding of spiritual gifts and their priorities and their use. So he's been through correction after correction, recognized the, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. You guys have, again, lost your eye on the ball, as it were, and you've forgotten that if Christ is raised, you will be raised. So correction after correction, and so now as he comes through this book, at the end here, he starts giving what we would call, what would almost seem some mundane instructions about what's taking place, but we've seen various principles that help us to live. But Paul, like all good teachers, summarizes what he's going to teach, and he, and he gives gives summary of everything that he's teaching in a short period of time. And we would say as we come to these verses, he, he's going to give instructions that really would, we would say if, he, if the Corinthians will follow these commands that he's about to give, will solve all of the problems and everything that he's dealt with in this book. And so we could say in shorthand, he sums up everything that they need to do in order to deal with the sin that's in their midst, everything that they need to do to be godly in their living. And so he begins this section, and as he gives this section, he really gives what we would call five commands that they are to do, five commands that is necessary that they must do in order to be obedient, to live godly lives. We could say to, they must obey these commands in order to have powerful godly living. Now it's interesting because as he comes through this section, he's using what we would call military terms. 
He's using military terms. He says in verse 13, be alert, stand firm, act like men, be strong. All of these are terms that would be used. You could almost hear uh, uh, an army sergeant talking to his men. And he says to them, be alert, stand firm, act like a man, be strong. And Paul really reminds us as we come into this book, and and often it's something that is lost, that we are in a spiritual battle. The Christian life is not a tea party. We don't get together and have tea parties. It is a battle that must be fought. And it's a battle that goes on regardless if we're aware of it or not. And much of the church and many times we forget that we're in a spiritual battle and we, we, we get complacent. We stop being watchful. We stop being firm. We stop being strong. And so we are called to, to follow these five commands that are left here in this passage. And the idea is this, if they're commands, you must do them. First of all, that's not going to happen by itself. Number two, if you don't obey them, you're in disobedience. And so you would expect that your commanding officer will not be happy with you and there will be consequences in God's discipline if you actually don't do this. And so we must remember that we are in a spiritual battle Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. There's a spiritual battle that continues to rage. And we are fighting a battle, but not a battle in the sense where we're picking up arms for Corinthians says, for Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10:4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh and blood, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to obedience to Christ. We're not in a physical war. The old song says, I may not ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery but I'm in the Lord's army. We are in an ideological war. We are fighting falsehood with the weapon of truth. We are specifically using the word of God to correct people's thinking to the truth of God. And unlike a human war, this is a spiritual war and the consequences are much greater. The consequences because they are eternal. And so we are called to be soldiers. We are called to be those who continue remember to be prepared and to act like soldiers in the Christian walk. And so again, Paul gives us in this commands to the Corinthians, he also gives us five commands that we must obey in order to have a, to have a powerful godly life. Five commands that we must obey for godly living. On the other side, if we don't obey these, we will not have a powerful godly life. So Paul begins this section and he starts with just simply be watchful. Be watchful, the first command. Be on guard, be vigilant, stay awake spiritually, watch out. Now, right on the surface, we would say that for many of us and even for the church that we, as we look around, this, this command has been completely ignored right? Completely ignored. And we often find that even in our own lives, that as we are called to be spiritually awake and to watch out and to be awake, the differences between being asleep and awake, be watchful, that we become complacent. 
and we don't follow, we don't, aren't spiritually aware. Because there are things that we need to be alert about. There are things that we actually have to watch out for. As we walk around in the Christian life, and if we look at the Corinthians, we see all kinds of temptations that they had, that they had to be watching out for. There was a tendency for them to be, to be, uh, have factions, to be selfish. They were misusing the Lord's Supper. There was a tendency to self-promotion and indulging the flesh. And, and Paul says, listen, you, you need to be spiritually aware. You need, to, you need to be watching for these things. He says, you have the, fle- the world and you have the flesh and they are real. And it's so easy for us to go on automatic. And we, we kind of, we understand we're saved and we, we understand that we're, we're you know, we're, we're doing some work in the word of God and we're, we're, we're doing some things, but we get apathetic. And once we're, once we're we pursued God in, in, a, in a great way, we become careless. And we no longer, we no longer think through things. We no longer think through what we're being taught. We're no longer thinking through the things that are happening in our lives. And we become careless. We must recognize that we are in a spiritual battle as Second Peter, as First Peter 5.8 says, be sober in spirit, be alert. You have an adversary, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. In other words, be, be aware that, that, that you have an adversary. You can't see him. You can't see it coming, but he's out, he's out there, right? And he is trying to put things in front of you so that you will respond sinfully. And he's active. And one of the things, like I mentioned earlier, one of the things he loves to do for you is to get you so that he's just happy to leave you apathetic. He's very happy with the believer. He's not going to kick the tires of a believer who decides, starts to, to put their Bible reading aside, their obedience aside, their discernment aside. Why does he need to deal with them? Because they're already, right, going to start sliding. Because if we're not moving forward in the Christian life, you're going to start what, moving backwards. And you're go- the things that you once stood for, the things you believed, the things that you were watchful for, you will stop watching for. And in the church, the church has often become arrogant in this area because they figure they don't need it. And it should be no surprise, it should be no surprise that there's spiritual wreckage because there's no willingness to think, no willingness to be alert. This word watchful was often used of the idea of walking over a stream and you're walking on wet rocks and so your attention is there, right? You're all in. And there can be a tendency for us to get distracted and a tendency to start looking everywhere else and not look to the spiritual things that we are called to do. So he says, be alert, be alert. Recognize even be alert, we could say, for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Live, live, live in expectation that our Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. Live in expectation that you will see him, you will give an account to him. Now, we're not going to be giving an account for our sin, but we will give an account for our faithfulness and, and for the, our works. And do we, do we want to, to have him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? We will only be that we will only be assured of that if we are faithful and watchful in our lives. So we are to keep keeping watch, be vigilant, because we are facing trials. And it's clear that the Corinthians had not been that, right? They had not been vigilant. By their lifestyle, they demonstrated that they had not been 
putting, prioritizing spiritual things and had been vigilant to the, to the errors that were creeping in their midst. So Paul says, be watchful, be watchful, be alert. Then he gives a second command, be alert. He says, now, he says, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Here's another principle that we must understand for godly living. Now, the Corinthians, the, the idea here for, 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 for faith here is not subjective faith, your belief in Christ, but rather it says in the faith, in the faith. In other words, he's talking doctrinally here. We must stand in the faith. We must not move from the faith. It says, Paul says, I, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you received, in which you also stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. In other words, stand on the truth that I gave you. And so we are called to be standing firm. In other words, we are to take the doctrine that we have learned and to stand on it, especially those things to do with the gospel. Now these days, it would, when you stand firm on anything, you're accused of being arrogant, right? Unloving. Fact is, you're so narrow-minded, you're irrelevant, right? And people take shots at you and, and you're, con you're considered divisive because you stand on the truth. And yet Paul says, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. I think it was Hodge said, not all doctrine is up for debate. In other words, there are, there are certain things that we understand from from church history as we read the word of God that the church has always understood and we go to scripture to find it. It's not church history, but there are certain doctrines about the gospel that we have, have are necessary, are non-negotiable. And if we look around at the church, the church often in, the, in our time especially has been tried to be like the world. And they have tried to, to, to take the edges off and to make make our truth more palatable or, or to somehow question that truth. And now all of a sudden, things that we have held forever in the church and certainly taught clearly in scripture are now negotiable or unknown. And so all of a sudden we start to debate these things and we say, well, is Jesus the only way? Maybe there's, maybe there's a different way. Just because it says, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, and there's no under name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved, maybe it's different than we first thought. And maybe people are saved because of what Christ did, but they just, and they're saved in his name, but they don't, have to, they don't actually have to know it themselves. But how can you believe in something that you don't know? And so we start to debate these things, and we start to say, well, the Trinity, well, you know, is that that important? Right, and so we have churches teaching modalism where, where there's one God who puts on different hats. One day he's the father, one day he's the son instead of three persons in one. And, and now we start to debate that. And all, all, all of these ideas start to be debated. Well, I don't know about scripture. What do we mean by inerrancy, right? Maybe it's just inerrant in, in, its, in, in, the, in, the, in the point that it's making, but it's okay to be wrong in the details. We'll just redefine what inerrancy is. Because after, after all, God was communicating with some pretty primitive dumb people back then, right? And it's not a science book. And all of a sudden, we're starting to, to, we're starting to rip away at the very foundations of Christianity. And it's not helpful it's destructive because the Bible is clear on these things and we are to stand firm on these things, uncompromising. And there's a tendency for people who, 
<laughs> you know, you, you want someone like that. I mean, uh, the, we, always, we always go back to Martin Luther, right? Everybody loved Martin Luther because he was willing to stand for truth. He certainly got the gospel right. He understood justification by faith. Not everything Martin Luther taught, but he certainly got the gospel right. And we think, wow, that's, that's great. But we often don't want that guy near us. We don't want him in our church because he's divisive and he's trouble, right? And yet, we're all called to be that way. We're called to be that as a church. We're called out to be that as individuals who stand on the truth of the word of God, right? Watch, watch what? Watch what you believe. Stand in it. Be firm in it. And again, you can, you can hear, you can hear the, uh, 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 the leader of the soldiers saying to them, listen, get out to your post. Watch. Stand firm. Don't give up your position. Paul says, I brought you the gospel. I brought you the truths. I've taught you through this book what you need to do. Now stand firm on it. Don't waver from it. So you're going to actually have to know what this book says in order for you to stand firm on it. So study it. And it's okay. It's okay to know something for certain because God intended you to know something for certain. How can you rejoice in your salvation and the security of your salvation if you're not even sure that, the, that there's truth to hang on to? So he says, grab the truth, grab, hang on to the truth, stand in it. Don't give it up. Be immovable. One theologian says, Satan cannot take saving faith away from us, but he can... He can and often obscures the content of our faith, the sound doctrines of God's word. If we do not hold fast to right interpretations of scripture, we are certain to slip into wrong thinking, wrong belief, and wrong behavior. We need to stand firm on the truth. We need to stand in the faith. Certainly the Corinthians didn't. They were caught up in worldly wisdom. They were fighting over teachers because after all, which teacher was best? And they were having a problem with the gospel because it was so simple because they wanted worldly wisdom. And so they were leaving the truths that they were taught rather than clinging to them. They even lost their view of Christ, right? Can't say that Jesus is a curse. There was, a, there was even a loss of an understanding of a view, of a proper view of Jesus Christ because they did not stand on the gospel that was taught to them. Now I want to make it clear, that does not mean that we do not learn. It does not even mean that some of the views that we hold now are wrong. But we need to be very careful that we are standing on the word of God. We don't want to be unteachable but there are certain things that are taught so clearly in Scripture, we can rest on those and never give them up. So if we are to stand firm in the faith, we must be well taught in the Word of God, looking at everything, judging everything by God's truth and standards. We should pray for ourselves and for the church today as Epaphrodites prayed for the Colossians. That He says, that you may be stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. In other words, know the word of God, know the will of God, stand in it because you know the word. So Paul says, listen, be alert. You're, you're recognized, we could almost say, recognize you're in the battle. Be a continually alert 
because the enemy is out there. Your temptation is out there. Your flesh is out there. Be alert to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then stand firm in the faith. In other words, recognize that there is doctrinal truth that you must cling to. Then he says this, act like men. Act like men. Now what does that mean? This Paul is sexist, isn't he? Isn't he the same guy that wrote the passages about women submitting and not talking in the church? This guy's got a problem. So what does he mean by that? What does he mean by act like men? Well, I actually think that's exactly what he means. Uh Uh-oh. But how can that be? How can that be? Because I think in the Christian faith, remember, he is talking here about us being what? Soldiers. Soldiers. He's not talking about something, a tea party here. He's encouraging you to be a soldier in the faith. Now, clearly, he's talking to the church and he's talking to women as well. But there are characteristics here. And I would say the contrast here with this word, it's got the word anar, which is for man. It's between masculinity and femininity. And there was a part of this church that was feminine. There was a part of this church that was soft. And he says, listen, in the Christian faith, you have to be act like a man. In other words, there, there is a character quality here that can be gained by all. In other words, be courageous, be bold, be daring. And he's saying, I want you to actually, literally, he says, play the part of a man. Act like a man. We could say, man up, is what he's saying. And he says, you're in a battle. And, and, and he makes it clear, there are masculine qualities that are good. In this day and age, we have been told that masculinity is, is poisonous. We've been told that if you, are, if, if there, you ex, ex, exhibit any masculine traits, that you are oppressive. But there is a biblical masculinity that is called for. And there are characteristics that are manly that we are called to be. We are called to be bold. We are called to be courageous. We are called to be mature. And he says, I want you to what? Start acting like men. You're in a battle. Be bold. Don't be afraid. Have courage. Confidence. I'm going to get myself into trouble here, but we're going to go here anyway. There's a sense in which he is calling us to not be soft. If we look at the church and we look at the modern church, we look at it and it has been feminized. We have look at the modern church and we say, we go there and we come to a church often not ours, thankfully, we have the pastel colors and we come here and we talk about relationships and we talk about our feelings and we talk about, you know, if you're going to give me any kind of spiritual truth, you have to, you better say it just right and just soft enough and in just the right way because you'll hurt my feelings. And we we have this idea that somehow that spiritual truth can't be given to you straight. In fact, you're insensitive and harsh and overbearing and, and mean if you, if you actually call people out in their sin and you call them to obedience to the word of God. And he says, no, actually, actually, I don't have to do it perfectly. I don't have to figure out your felt needs and I don't have to come alongside you, as it were, and, and to... And to be completely, you know, as thoughtful as possible. Like there is some truth and unfortunately it's inconvenient that truth at the end of the day is truth and you need to hear it. 
And he says, I'm looking for believers who are courageous and bold and willing to actually what? Go out and stand for the truth, tell the truth, not be cowed, not be afraid. And so there is, there is a necessity within the church to have some masculine characteristics. And women can often be far more brave, far more bold, and far more straight than men. This isn't something that we're not asking women to be men, but we are asking them in, when it comes to faith to be bold, to be courageous, and to be willing to go where truth goes. And to stand. In other words, he's asking us to have the fortitude of a warrior. And I would say this. Men, it's incumbent on you, therefore, as leaders at home and in the church, to demonstrate this for everyone else. You need, you need to demonstrate it for others. We look at the church, we hear things like we have to have seeker sensitive, right? We've we got to be careful. If we give people the truth, they're not going to want to be here. We've got to get general neutral Bibles because after all, we're offending half of the congregation. But the reality is if we stand on the truth of the word of God, we're going to, it's going to take care of these things. We just give people the truth. I'm not saying being harsh. I'm not saying being unnecessarily difficult. But we're called mankind for a reason, because God said so. God put men in charge of homes and, and the church, so let's not pretend. This Bible was written in language that God intended. Remember, every single word in this, in this Bible is written by the Holy Spirit. Let's not edit Let's not change. Let's not make it acceptable for everyone. We simply must what? Stand for and be bold and courageous and teach as God has called us to do. So yes, some people strictly define this as courageous. We do need to be courageous, but I think it's more I think it's a whole attitude, a whole way that we go. And we, we, are, we act like men by standing firm, and we will act like men by staying strong and by being alert. All of those things can contribute to that. Well, fourthly, we see here, not only are we called to be alert, not only are we to stand firm, not only are we to act like men, but we are called to be strong. So it's not enough to be bold. It's not enough to be courageous. It's not, it's, not, it's not good enough for us to be willing to do what's necessary. We have to be able to withstand opposition and persecution. We have to be able to withstand opposition and persecution. And we know that it's coming, right? If you are, if you are standing for truth, if you're watchful, if you're one of those irritating little people who is continually bringing up the fact because you're watchful that what doctrine is being ta taught is not correct and then you're actually willing to say something about it, you're going to get opposition. You're going to get opposition in the church. You're going to get opposition from the world. You're going to get persecuted because that is the natural response. Jesus said that that would happen. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it will hate me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of this world, because I chose you out of this world, because of, of this, the world hates you. Remember the, wor the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Expect it. Expect that there is going to be opposition. Expect that there, people will not react well to the truth. 
You've, we only have to look around at the cancel culture out there to recognize that anybody that stands for anything even close to what we would understand is biblical precepts, there's persecution right away. And in fact, many of the things that we have taken for granted throughout history are now considered controversial. They're now considered controversial when they were once, even 30 years ago, were assumed to be true. And so we should expect that if we are watchful, standing strong, if we are standing in the faith, and that we are acting like men, that it's going to cause some trouble. So we need to be strong. Now, this command here is, is actually in the, is, is, uh, in the middle voice. And we would say this. He's really saying, be strengthened. Be strengthened. Okay? And so he's saying, you need to recognize that if in your battle, you need strength. But he's saying, I, no, it's actually in the passive voice, I think. And the idea here is this. You are being, you need to be strengthened from outside yourself. In other words, if you are going to be, live a godly, strong life, you need to have to be strengthened on the inside by God. In other words, this is not something you could drum up in your flesh. This isn't something that you can you know, rah, rah, do, and do the, the, the scream. You have to be strengthened from the inside. And so he says, there's going to be a necessity if you are going to fight a spiritual battle that you are spiritually strengthened by God. So we're not talking about physical strength, but spiritual. And so we are going to have to let ourselves be, submit to the Holy Spirit and allow him to work through us. We're going to have to submit to the Holy Spirit and allow him to work through us. And again, we, we have to recognize that we can, if we are fighting with weapons that are not of this world, we're going to have to get those weapons from somewhere. And so Paul said in, in Philippians, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, work out your spiritual life, work out your salvation, start becoming more Christ-like. And then he says, how does that happen? For he is working in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. In other words, you must be empowered continually by the Holy Spirit, which means you need to be continually putting yourself underneath the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what we call the filling of the Spirit. It's not that you're getting more of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Spirit does not mean you're getting more of the Holy Spirit. What it means is He's getting more of you. All right? You got the Holy Spirit when you were saved. He came and He indwells you and, and you have all the Holy Spirit you need. The problem isn't him. The problem is that you refuse to allow him. The, the problem is, is that we, we grieve the Holy Spirit by not being obedient to him. And so he says, you need to be what? Obedient to the Holy Spirit. So he says, be strong. How are you going to be strong? Because you are continually strengthened, renewed in the inner man. As the outward man decays, you are being renewed in the inner man. And it is in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is in the power of God that you are strengthened so that you are able to be bold, that you are able to stand, that you are able to be watchful. And so you're not called to manufacture all of this. It doesn't come out of your flesh. You must recognize that God gives you the power to do that. And so he says, be, we could say, be being strengthened. In other words, continually have the Holy Spirit strengthen you. We recognize that when Jesus Christ walked on this earth, he continually went back after he did ministry. He continually went back and he prayed to the Father and was strengthened. If Jesus Christ needed to do it, how much more do we need to do it so that we have the strength to stand. 
And if you try to manufacture this in your flesh, you're going to be just like Peter. Lord, I will never deny you. Oh, once, twice, three times gone, right? You cannot manufacture this in the flesh. It must be a work of God in your heart to strengthen you. Paul said, I, th- I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. So how do I get strengthened? How do I get strengthened? Colossians says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of steadfastness, patience, and jealousy. Joyously, me, patience and joyously. In other words, as we live in obedience, as we walk in a worthy manner of God, we bear fruit, we gain knowledge, and ultimately are strengthened in all power. All done in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, listen, if you're going to live a a victorious, godly life, you need to be continually strengthened. You need to go back to the source. You You need to walk in God's power. And this will enable you to be alert. This will be able to stand firm in the faith. This will allow you to be strong. Then he gives us, we could call really the overarching principle or the overarching command. He says in verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. So he's just said, be alert, stand firm, act like men, be strong. And he says, here's what I want you to do. He doesn't say, I want you to do this with love. He says, I want you to do it in love. In other words, this is, you're like uh, peas in soup. You're surrounded, as it were, by love. This is the sphere in which you live. And he says, I want you to do everything in love. He's already called us to do that in chapter 13, right? On love. Love is patient. Love is kind. He's given us a full explanation of love. He says, if you don't have love, you're what? A resounding gong. I don't know if you want to be a gong, but he says, you're a resounding gong. Right? There's nothing, there's nothing good that you can accomplish without love. He says, a gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as room mountains, but do not have love, I am what? Nothing. Nothing. And he says, you can be watchful, you can stand for faith, you can try to be you know, strong, all of these things, but if you don't have love, what? You're nothing. He says this. Think about this. This is, this is what keeps what we would call, say the first four steps from making you obnoxious, right? Because it's, it's easy. You can be watchful, be cold, and crusty. You can stand firm and be dogmatic in the truth. And but instead of being loving, you're stiff-necked and arrogant, right? It's so easy. So, so easy to be hard, so easy to be difficult. And strong you could be smug and do- domineering, right? It's easy to, 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 to use your power to overcome. And he says, this is what keeps all of these first four steps from being harsh. 
Because when you're watchful, you're going to be difficult. You are going to have to be careful, right? You're going to be dealing with stuff. You're going to see stuff that others does, d- d- don't. And people will not always agree. And you will want to stand on the truth of the word of God, but you can be difficult and obnoxious and arrogant. And you can pound your chest and, and, and somehow think you're manly. You're the one who stands for truth. You're the one who charges the fence. But you're just arrogant and difficult. And you could just end up domineering people. So Paul says, all of this, all of this has to be done. It has to be done in love. It must be the sphere in which the believer lives. And so we look and we say, well, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. Whoa, see? You see how it starts to deal with the problems that come up when we start to do these things? does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It does not provoke. does not take into account wrong suffered. And how easy it is for us to do these things. Someone disagrees with us. Well, now we're, we, we, after all, we have the truth. They've wronged us. We can be easily provoked. We can actually pursue truth for our own good. You've ever done that? Of course, I haven't, but I know others, right? Where there's a sense where we're after righteousness sake. Why? Because the righteous stand gets us what we want. We're not doing it for God's glory. We're doing it for our own self-promotion. How easy it is to be arrogant. After all, I watch the door. I know doctrine. People should listen to me. And so instead of loving the people that we are dealing with, we become, we look down on them. Don't be bragging. Be kind, be patient. And if we do that, then we will stand and and be strong in our godly life because we will do all of the things that are required of us, but they will be tempered by our love. So how do we get that love for one another? Well, you can't. All right, let's close in prayer. No, (laughs) right? You can't manufacture it, and you can't fake it. The only way that you can love others is to love God and have his love flow through you. And it will only be God's love that will enable you to love others as they should. And so you, if you're going to love others, then you must pursue the God of the Bible. You must love the Lord, the God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And when you love him, his love will flow through you. And the love of God will come out of you to others because it will be a natural response of loving God and knowing God. And so, humanly speaking, impossible. But with God, it is possible. He can have his love flow through you. And so let us be those who first pursue God. Let's pursue the love of God. Let's ask God to create in us a love for him that we don't have. And then pray that he will give you a love for the brethren or for the unbeliever. Because if you're standing doing these first four commands, you're going to be sometimes a little bit like the police officer. You're always going to be dealing with those who are breaking the law and you can start to see everyone and become jaded. And it will be necessary for you to continue to go back to God and ask and to love him and to and to ask him to give you a love for him and for others because it will be difficult. Yet he promises that he will do that for us if we will pursue him with all our might. So this morning, the question is, 
are willi- willing to follow these commands? Are we willing to follow these commands? They're commanded. They're not options for us. But are we going to respond in obedience? Are we going to say those commands are too difficult? Remember, we are in a spiritual battle. And we will never have a victorious, godly life unless we obey these commands. So the question is, who do we want to be? Do we want to be pleasing to God? Do we want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Or do we want to follow our own agenda? We've been commanded. It's been laid out before us. We are now responsible for it. Let's pray that God would give us a heart to be obedient. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, again, making it clear to us what we must do. And I pray that you would help us to be those who would be obedient to your commands. That we would be spiritually alert, that we would not be apathetic. That we would stand on the truth of your word, that we would be those who are bold and courageous. That we would be continually strengthened by you so that we can stand and be alert. And then we pray that you would give us a love, uh, the love of God, that we would love you, that we would love others, and that you would use us, not only that we would be pleasing to you, but you would use us to reach the lost, I pray in your name. Amen.